Welcome to the Seashore Church Message of the Week. This message is designed to bring more of heaven into your world today. For more resources like this, or to learn more about our church, visit seashorechurch.com. How are you guys doing? Good? You alive? You awake? I'm glad, because it makes all the difference when you are. <laughs> i got to give a couple of shout-outs. Congratulations to Aslan. Where'd Aslan go? He's probably out there now. Aslan won his volleyball tournament, I heard. Were you, are you on the same team, or is it co-ed? Is it th- no, different team. But did you win as well? You didn't have one, but you will win in Jesus' name. So wherever you're at, Aslan, congratulations. And also to Chief Select Brandon, congratulations. Yeah. Rude Bottom is selected as chief. Well done. We're very proud of you, man. Welcome to the Chiefs mess, right? So that's awesome. Very cool. Just means more responsibility and hardly any more pay, but it's going to be awesome. So, <laughs> no, we're proud of you. Um, I want to, uh, by the way, I'm wearing my JMU shirt, if you couldn't figure that out. First time ever in the top 25 for football. No one cares whatsoever. This is amazing. JMU. Number 25 in the nation in like the high football, whatever it is, they moved up to the next level of football. And when some teams like ODU move up to the next level of football, they don't do so great. But JMU is 25th in the nation. So go Dukes. This is an honor of them. And in Jesus name, you will all be JMU fans at some point in time. Just kidding. I want to continue Kind of a little bit of a fun series that we started a couple of weeks ago on origin stories. I love origin stories. Has anybody been watching the Rings of Power on TV? It's like the continuation of the Lord of the Rings. Uh, They had the season finale this Friday night, and I had to admit my wife and I have been unfaithful. We watched it without our boys last night. We have a commitment to watching them all together as a family, but... When you work till 11 o'clock at night, I'm not waiting up that long to watch it. So Romy and I watched it, but Bella, the one who's obviously closer to the Lord, refused to watch it. She goes into the other room and says, I'm not watching without my brothers. And uh, so let's just say the season finale, I'm not going to ruin it, but they introduce Yoda in the season finale. It's amazing. Can I nerd out with you guys? First, you're not JMU fans, and I can't. There's no Yoda. I'm just, I'm just kidding. But I won't ruin the uh, season finale if you haven't seen it yet. And if, you, if you're one of those people that waits for the whole season to come out before you start to watch it, man, you got some patience. I need that. I can't do it. But uh, you find out some origin stories in this last finale. That's all I'll say is you kind of find out who's who. And what I love about this series is it's some of the characters from the Lord of the Rings movies. This is some of their origin stories. And so it's been kind of fascinating to watch. Maybe that's why I started this series. I don't know. Um, But today, I want to talk to you about one of my Bible heroes. I have a lot of Bible heroes. um, But this guy really is one of mine. His name is Samuel. Anybody ever heard of Samuel? I love Samuel. Now, Samuel plays a very key role in the history of the nation of Israel, the biblical history of Israel, because he's the last judge. And he kind of creates the bridge of the transition from Israel's occupation of the Holy Land when they actually go into the Promised Land. And they have a period of these judges that are really just kind of regional military leaders. They weren't really national leaders. They just kind of would rise up and perform these great feats. And then they would go away and another judge would come. But It's nothing like what we see later in the monarchy. And so Samuel provides this bridge between the occupation and the judges period and the monarchy that that came later uh, with King David and King Saul and Solomon, all of those after them. So he's very unique because Samuel holds three offices in the history of the nation that nobody else had ever had before. These all were kind of separate things that people did. But in the, in the life of Samuel, he combines all three, and that is priest, prophet, and judge. Now, some people even question the historicity of this guy Samuel because nobody could ever be all three of those things. And not only was Samuel a priest, but he was a priest 
but not in the line of Aaron. He was not one of Aaron's descendants who was the original high priest. The high priests were supposed to be genetically tied back to Aaron, but he wasn't that. He didn't begin life as a prophet. He began life as a priest, but he becomes a prophet. And then as a result of what happened in the nation, he becomes a judge as well. All three of these things. Samuel is a guy that wore many, many hats, and he did all of them really well. And in his life, he actually becomes both the king maker and the king breaker. He anoints the first two kings of Israel, and he is the one that tells the first king, Saul, that God has rejected you as king and takes the kingship away from him. God's the one who did it, but he uses Samuel to do that. When you look back at Samuel's story, and you see such an influential figure in the history of the nation, and somebody who really loved God, and really wanted to honor God, and serve God, and fulfill the call that he has to serve his generation well, where did he start? You think a guy like that would have had two loving parents with great jobs, who supported him all of his life, who hugged him as much as he wanted to be hugged. He went to the best of schools. He graduated from school with the best degree. And then he quickly got into the right internship with the right job. He had all of the best business mentors you could possibly want who told him all the super secret things of how to be a judge and how to be a prophet and how to be a priest. And then he had his, his golden opportunity, that moment when now's your chance. And he stood up when he had the chance, and he took it by the horns, and he became this great leader. You might be surprised to learn that's not exactly the way Samuel's life started. In fact, if you're to understand how Samuel becomes the leader that he is, to serve his generations well, in fact, it's what I want to be. I want to serve my generation well. I can't serve the future generations but the time that I have on this earth, I can minister to and serve this generation well in obedience to what the Father has called me to do. That when I lay down to rest in eternity, I want to make sure that I hear those words of my Savior who says, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm not endeavoring for the Lord to say, well done, good and famous servant. I'm not endeavoring for him to go, you smell like smoke, but come on in. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. If you're to understand Samuel's origin story, I want to show you that it's actually a story of overcoming rejection. Rejection is a motif that Samuel is going to have to deal with time and time and time again. You wouldn't think that somebody like that would have a lot to overcome. You'd think they'd have everything, but you're going to see that Samuel's life was one of continually being overlooked and rejected by those who should have loved and supported and blessed him. We first see Samuel come onto the picture, actually not through him, but through his mother, whose name is Hannah. Hannah is a very interesting woman. Hannah can't have a son through whatever challenges she's facing she can't have one but she cries out night and day to God because she really wants a son and God answers her prayer in fact when she's going before God praying I don't know if you've ever prayed like this but she's praying and she's so pouring out her heart to God that her lips are moving but no words are coming out have you ever been so desperate for something that you just can't find the words and you're pouring your heart out to God. And Eli, the high priest, sees this woman. Now, what is the high priest supposed to be? He's the one who understands. Oh, I get it. I know what worship looks like because I'm a worshiper. And I understand what you're doing. I see what you're doing, and I get it. But instead, the high priest looks at her and goes, when are you going to stop drinking? He assumes that she's drunk. You see, when true worshipers... Worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Often it will look like what the world calls drunkenness. And even this high priest who's so disconnected from the heart of God doesn't even know what worship looks like. And he's taken the world's viewpoint of what that looks like and go, oh, this must be that. 
The same world that says, when you get healed, oh, you must have gotten a wrong report that you ever had the disease. Oh, you're free from your addiction? Well, you must have a great recovery program that tells you you will always be an addict. And you can never not be an addict, so you better do all of these things. You see, that's what happens when people get away from God. They misinterpret what God's actually doing in the moment. But God answers her prayer anyway. Once she says, I'm not drunk, I'm pouring out my heart to God, Eli's like, oh, okay. Well, may God bless you with what you want. And she gives birth to a boy, and his name is Samuel. Hey, good, well done. And she is so moved with what God does, she dedicates Samuel to the Lord and gives him to Eli, the high priest, to be raised in the temple once she weans him. Now, I know you may think, well, I thought this was a story of rejection, right? Well, you know Hannah's side of the story, but what if you're Samuel? What if you're raised in a home where there's no mention of Eli's wife? I don't know if there's a woman on the scene, but you're raised in an environment that's not your home. Do you think ever maybe the little boy Samuel raised up feeling like maybe he had been abandoned by his mother? It's quite possible. Even though Hannah did the right thing, sometimes things get lost in translation. Sometimes when you're given up for adoption, you have no idea what your mother went through before she gave you up. All you know is you're having to deal with these feelings of rejection by your own parents. And then we already talked about Eli ends up in the temple with his adopted, sorry, Samuel ends up in the temple and his adopted father is Eli, the one that accused his mother of being drunk because he didn't actually understand what real worship looked like. That's your dad. Who's your daddy? It's Eli. That's the guy who's raising you. Eli was a terrible example of a father, terrible example of a priest. Eli was letting his other sons, Hophni and Phinehas, he was letting them run amok. They were blatantly sinning. And all Eli does is, guys, why are you doing this? It looks bad. Never actually punishes his sons. Never actually does anything to get them to stop doing what they're doing. He just says, you guys need to stop doing this. It looks bad. We're supposed to be people who don't do this. His whole motivation is the way it looked rather than actually a repentant heart turning towards God. Not only that, but Eli is this young boy. He begins to hear the voice of God as God, God cries out to him. And Eli can't even recognize the voice of God. He has not heard from God in a long, long time. So first he misinterprets Hannah's prayer as being drunk. Then when Samuel begins to hear the Lord for himself, in spite of Eli... Eli doesn't even recognize it and tells him, go to bed. And it finally, he comes to his senses and goes, oh, this must be God. And Samuel receives his call into ministry as a result. And ironically, Eli's downfall gets prophesied as well. Abandoned by his mother, a terrible of an example as an adopted father. And look at these brothers that he's got. His stepbrothers. Anybody got stepbrothers? His stepbrothers were the Bible, I didn't look up, I forgot the interpretation of this word, but the NIV translates these two brothers as scoundrels. I don't know if there's anybody, else. I don't think Judas was called a scoundrel, but scoundrels, like they were so evil. They were actually taking from the sacrifices that people were bringing to God. They were saying, don't give that to God, give it to us. Because they wanted the best portions of it. Oh yeah, filet mignon, that goes to us. God can have whatever is left over. They were a terrible example. Now, if you're a little brother, can I talk to the little brothers for a minute? Anybody a little brother? I was the baby in my family. Older brother, older sister. Nothing is harder than being the little brother who does the right thing when their older siblings are not. Of course, I never did anything wrong. I was the good kid. Sometimes if your older brother is bad enough, you get to slip under the radar. That's probably more likely what happened at times. 
But I remember there was a season in my life when I recommitted my life to Christ and my brother had not. And yet here is my, my, the one that I looked up to the most who was not living a life according to the call of God that was on him. And I had to make a decision as a little brother. I'm going to pursue God with all of my heart regardless of what the example ahead of me is doing. And in a weird twist of fate, it was me deciding to do that and my brother seeing the fruit of my life that led him back to Jesus and he got saved and radically filled with the Holy Spirit and then we became the iron sharpening iron it's supposed to be. But in the early days, it wasn't like that. I had to make a decision for myself to follow God even when the example around me was not doing the right thing. That's where Samuel found himself. His older brothers were a terrible example. The Bible says they had no regard for God whatsoever. And they were priests. They were in the line of Aaron. They were the next priest. When dad dies, they were to become the high priest. And instead of leading by example, they were leading the other way as well. I can imagine Samuel being, this is the family you put me in? Like, this is the one you chose? This doesn't sound like the right environment for me to become all that God has for me. You ever, you ever been in a place when you're like, God, I feel this call on my life, but I'm not in the right place. I'm not in the right environment. I can't do that here. You may be surprised to learn that God specifically puts you in places for the purpose of being rejected by those places so that he could fulfill the call that he's put in your life. Oddly enough, it turns out that Samuel, feeling rejected by perhaps his mother, by his father, and by his stepbrothers, were put into that family because God had rejected them and not Samuel. But it required the rejection of those family members in order for Samuel to become what he was to become. We'll talk about that a little bit later. The Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 2, I apologize for not having a TV. I guess you're going to have to look in your own Bibles today. Is that okay? 1 Samuel chapter 2. We're going to stay in 1 Samuel for a little while today. It says of his stepbrothers, The sin of the young men, the stepbrothers, was very great in the Lord's sight. For they were treating the Lord's offerings with contempt. But here's the key verse I want you to read. But Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. That ephod was like an inner garment that was a symbol of the priesthood. When his brothers were out doing the wrong thing, and benefiting from it. They were leading the good life. Not only were they stealing the sacrifices, but they were sleeping with the other staff in the church, in the temple, to put it in a modern day context. Horrible people. And yet they seemed to be living the good life, enjoying all the benefits of being in the Aaron line and being in the high priest family, but without any of the sacrifice and any of the leadership integrity they were supposed to have. But here's Samuel ministering before the Lord. Do you know that you can minister to God? Like you can bless God? He's ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing an, a linen ephod. There was something about that ephod that symbolized that Samuel is the one who's going to become the priest and not these wicked sons. And that's exactly what happened. In the midst of the bad example, example, Samuel is able to keep his heart in the right place. Do you know how hard that is when the environment around you is doing the wrong thing and yet God seems to be doing nothing about it? David used to pray, why do the wicked prosper? But yet Samuel is not concerned about what God's going to do about his stepdad and stepbrothers. He says, regardless of what's happening around me, I'm going to minister before the Lord. I'm just a boy, but I'm a boy with an ephod. I'm a boy with a calling. I'm a boy who understands that there's destiny on my life. I don't exactly know what it's going to be, but I do know that as for others, 
What course they may take, I don't know. But as for me, give me God or give me death. Changing Patrick Henry's words there a little bit. But he says, I don't care what others do. I know what I'm going to do. And as a result, God promotes him. He becomes the leader of the nation. He becomes priest, prophet, and judge. Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas, all three of them die. And Samuel is the one that takes their place. The Ark of the Covenant is stolen by the Philistines and goes and, and they end up taking it to their land. The thing that killed Eli was him hearing not that his sons had died, but that they had lost the Ark. Because the Ark represented the presence and somehow Eli thought that if the presence is near us, I'll be okay. Not realizing that just because God's presence is near doesn't mean that you yourself are full of the presence. You see, just because revival is happening here doesn't mean it's happening here. You can be in a culture and an environment of revival, but have nothing going on inside of your heart. He rises and becomes the national leader, which is the closest thing to a theocracy Israel had ever had since the wilderness. You see, God's intention for Israel was that he would be their king, and they were led by him. That's what a theocracy is, theo. Theos, meaning God. And so things were going pretty well when Samuel was leading the nation. The ark came back. You want to read a funny story? Read in 1 Samuel of what happened to the Philistines when they took the ark. It's hilarious. It's like a journey of disaster. Everywhere it goes, it just wreaks a plague everywhere it goes. It's actually a picture of the victory of what the presence does. The presence with God's people brings blessing. The presence in those places just wreaked havoc. So what the army of Israel couldn't do, God's presence did by defeating the Philistines in every town that it went to. Do you understand that the presence of God will go to every single place that has been oppressing you? It'll go to the job that's oppressing you, the sickness that's oppressing you. It'll go to the culture that's oppressing you, and it will get victory after victory after victory after victory. And you don't have to do anything. Just bring the presence. It means that when you bring worship into an environment that only has sarcasm and cursing, it changes the atmosphere of it. And God sends tumors and rats on the thing that's trying to put tumors and rats on you. And so they end up giving the ark back. Please take the ark. That's a side note. That's all on Samuel's leadership. Things are going well for Samuel. But Samuel starts getting old, and Samuel's got two sons. But unfortunately, his two sons are not of the same spirit that Samuel is, and they choose not to serve God. And so the elders of Israel gather together and come to Samuel and say, hey, Samuel, we really like you. We don't really like your sons. Can I talk to the fathers for a minute? What if I came to you and said, hey, look, you're cool. I really like you. I don't really like your kids. What does that do to the heart of a father? One, you get your back up a little bit. But I'm sure there's a part of you that thinks the whole nation has just rejected my sons. It's rejecting my fatherhood. It means that I've failed as a father. It strikes at the very heart of rejection that I'm sure by now Samuel thought he was past. I got through the abandonment of my mother. I got through the bad example of my dad and my father. But now here's this old theme of rejection that's coming back again. And even towards the end of my life, I failed as a father. I failed, period. And so they said, we want a king like all the other nations. Because we don't want your sons. I understand that feeling a little bit of having to face rejection time and time again. Just in my own athletic career, I remember when I was in junior high school. Junior high, what do they call it, middle school now? You're old when you call it junior high school. But when I was in junior high school, back then it was 8th and ninth grade, I think. And... Um, I loved sports and was pretty good at rec sports leading up until that point. 
And I, you know, I'm now kids specialize in sports, but back then you played whatever season it was. And so I tried out for basketball, I tried out for baseball, and soccer was really my main sport at that age. And I tried out for all three teams, and I got cut by all three teams. First it was soccer, because that was a fall sport. Then I got cut for basketball. Then I got cut for baseball. I remember that feeling. This was the old days. I'm sure they do it much nicer now. But they would post a list on the outside of the coach's door. And if your name was on the list, you came back for practice the next day. And if it wasn't on the list, you just didn't come back. Now I'm sure they bring you in their office and give you cookies and snacks and <laughs> tell you how great you are and tell you you can choose which locker room you want to use. And God help us. And I remember some of those I was like, soccer, okay, didn't make that one. Baseball, I was in ninth grade throwing 82 miles an hour. Come on. What ninth grader you know does that? Still harboring a little bitterness, forgive me. <laughs> and basketball, are you serious? But I got cut by all three. And I remember that feeling of just going, all right, well, I'll try next year. So ninth grade, I go in ninth grade. And I try out again. Got cut for the soccer team. Got cut for the basketball team. And got cut for the baseball team. The same coach that coached basketball also coached baseball. That guy obviously had something in it for me. He had a book that says how to coach baseball in his back pocket. He obviously didn't see. Sorry, I'm going back. I'm getting off track. Getting off track. Stop it. Stop it. But I got cut by all three of them. And I remember the feeling. And I just went, oh, well, I'll just skate and surf and whatever. I knew I had this thing in me that I really liked to do. I know the feeling of what it's like to, to be rejected. Um, yeah, it's just sports, I know. There's deeper rejections that people face. I remember I ended up playing at, everybody say it with me, James Madison University. That's right. Remember when I played at JMU, did really well, and ended up getting an invitation to go to a couple NBA camps. And so I ended up going to the Lakers and, um, for their free agent camp. And I played with them for three weeks and uh, never really had a goal to play in the NBA necessarily, but I just had a really good year. Opportunities became available. And in that third week, um, actually, it's funny. I think the NBA is nicer about cutting you than, than the junior high school coach was. <laughs> and I remember the head coach at the time, Del Harris, came next to me. He goes, so uh, um, tell me a little bit about how you got here, how you think things are going. And he's like, yeah, I don't think you're going to make it. I don't think you're ready yet for the NBA. I was like, oh, okay. So I got cut by the Lakers, and uh, which was not too bad a deal. People ask, what's that like? So they fly you out in first class, fly you back coach. That gives you an idea <laughs> of what it's like. But it was hard seeing people that I had played against in college and dominated now having long careers in the NBA and making a whole lot more money than I was making. I ended up in Australia playing for a team called Wollongong. When I got to Wollongong, it was after a couple years of being in Europe, I was playing on a team that I really loved and a place that I really loved and was like, hey, I, I could finish my career here. I just so happened to meet this lovely young lady sitting right here as well too. And when I got there, the team had been in last place the year I came. And within one year, and I'm the only change on the team, we made it the second place and made the third place and made the playoffs Next year, we made it to second place, and the coach comes to me and says, as long as you want to be here, as long as I'm the coach, you have a job, we'll just do a handshake, we'll figure out contracts later, but as long as I'm here, you have a job. Well, things changed in that man's heart towards the last year, that at the end of my third year, they decided not to renew my contract, and I went, what happened to the, so long as I'm here, you're here, and so we're now faced with having to find Another place to live, find a new team, find a new job. I know that people go, wow, you play professional basketball, that's awesome. But what you don't see, it was just a series of one rejection after another. Where yes, what I did was kind of cool, but I was never really 
at the level that I could have been at. So whereas you could see it as a successful career, I could very easily look at that and go, well, I never made it there. I never made it to this place. That's just my athletic career. Some of my ministry life has been an example of being constantly overlooked and passed over and in some ways being rejected. But I learned what Samuel learned is just to keep ministering before the Lord, a boy in a linen ephod. So Samuel finds himself in this place. They reject him as their leader. They reject his sons and they say, we want a king. So God tells him, the great thing about Eli is he learned to hear God's voice in, through all of this. And he obeyed God when he told him what to do. So he goes and anoints Saul as king. All right? I did what God said. Saul was a disaster. He was a terrible king. He looked the part, but he had issues in his own heart. We dealt with Saul's origin story a few weeks ago, but it didn't work out quite the way he wanted. Trust me, Samuel felt the failure of Saul. I'm the kingmaker. I anointed Saul. Saul's failed. Therefore, it's a rejection of me. In fact, even them asking for a king felt like a rejection of Samuel himself. So God says, I want you to reject Saul and go anoint another king of Israel. So he sends him to the house of Jesse, but he doesn't tell him which brother of Jesse, sorry, he doesn't tell him which of Jesse's sons will be the next king. So here's the scene. And in 1 Samuel, it says when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab. He's the first brother of Jesse. Did I paint the scene for you? God says, I'm going to anoint one of Jesse's sons to be king. So go to Jesse's house and I'll show you which one it is. So he doesn't know which one it is. So when he shows up, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. Boy, how easy would it have been to just pretend like God said that one. But he knew the voice of God. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Now, I read in that the exasperation of someone who has dealt with rejection all their life. You've rejected me as your leader. You've rejected the first king. Can't I even get this right? Did I show up to the wrong house? Did I hear God right? Have I obeyed him? What's missing? I can't even anoint the next king. Can I do anything right? Have you ever been there? Like it just seems like everything you do fails or doesn't work out like you hoped. Samuel here we see had seven different rejections. His mom abandoned him. His dad didn't teach him. My brothers were bad role models. My kids have backslidden. People rejected me. Saul failed. And now I can't even find the right son. Could you imagine the desperation that's happening in him? His life is a path of rejection and perceived failure. But here's what we read in 1 Samuel 16. Jesse answered, there is still the youngest. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had brought him in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. And the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. Jesse brings David. And God said, he's the one. Now here's what I want you to hear. There might be a familiar verse to you. But I want to give a little bit of a different perspective on this than one you may have. Because what God says when David shows up, in 1 Samuel 16, 7, he said, the Lord does not look at things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Who do you think God was talking to? 
We often read that and think he's talking to David. I think it's just as much talking to Samuel. Hey, Samuel, I don't look at things the way other people look. I'm not just talking about David. Samuel, I've seen your heart. I look at you now. Samuel's an older man by now. But the Lord looks at him and says, Samuel, I still see the boy ministering before me, wearing a linen ephod. That boy hasn't changed. I knew that if I took you to Jesse's house, you will keep going until I say yes. You won't stop. You won't quit until I say quit. You're not going to let the rejection of mankind keep you from obeying me and keeping you from stepping into the destiny that I have from you. Samuel, I couldn't trust Eli with this. I definitely couldn't trust his sons with this. But I knew that little boy on his face before me, having the worst examples of ministry, the worst example of family before him, if he just stays on his face and worships me in spirit and in truth when he doesn't have the answers for why he's there right now. If he just stays in my presence, he's going to get my yes. Samuel, I see your heart. I don't count like everyone else does. I don't count how many wins you've got. Count your yes. I count your yes. Samuel said yes. Samuel said yes time and time again. He didn't just say yes because he understood the question. He said yes because he knew the one who was asking. God, I don't, I don't know why my stepdad did what he did. I don't know why I only see mom once a year. But I know you. And because I've been with you, and because I can hear your voice, and because when I heard your voice, I said, here I am, your servant is listening. Do you understand? That's what Samuel said. When Eli, when he thought it was Eli calling him, he shows up and says, here I am. When he knows it's God, he shows up and says, here I am, your servant is listening. Do you know that word listen? It's Shema. It's not I hear, it's I hear with the intent to obey. God, when I hear your call, I don't just show up and go, what do you want? I show up and I'm saying, the answer is yes. What's the question? I'm listening with the intent, the inclination of the heart to obey you before I even know what it is you're asking. And God looked at that little boy and said, that boy I can trust. That is going to be the leader of the nation. And even when the people reject him, he tells Samuel, hey Samuel, don't worry about it. It's not you they rejected. But I'm setting you up because your rejection of the people, the, rejections, the, the people's rejection of you has positioned you to anoint the one whose blood flows through my son. Do you understand that the rejection of Saul meant the anointing of David, which began the Davidic line that's fulfilled in the Messiah, Jesus? Had Samuel not been rejected, David would have never had that oil poured over his head. Had, David, had Samuel given in to the pressure of the people, just find somebody. The people just said, we want a king. They didn't care who it was, just anything like what they've got. And God said, no, I'm going to use your wrong intentions. I'm going to use your wrong spirit. But my servant Samuel, who has ministered before me, he's going to be the one that I'm going to use your wrong and his right to bring about my righteousness. I will work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That's what Samuel was. 
And because of his yes to God, through the rejection, he overcame the mistakes of other people's past that affected him. He overcame his own insecurity. And he anoints the descendant of the Messiah. Could you imagine? I don't think Samuel knew this side of heaven. What he had done. He just sees a boy coming in from the field that, all right, he's good looking, but he certainly doesn't look like a warrior. But can you imagine Samuel in heaven meeting Jesus? And Jesus telling him, hey, you don't know this, but that's going to be my great, 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 granddad. I pray that when we get to heaven, and our eyes are fully open, and as we know, as we are known, and we see what God sees fully. I pray that when we get there, we go, I had no idea that that little boy I gave a hug to every Sunday. That little boy I led into freedom. would break the yoke of millions of men. God's scoreboard for us is not our wins, it's measured in surrenders. In the upside-down economy of the kingdom, we win by surrender. <laughs> we live by dying to ourselves. We get filled by ourselves what is rejected becomes the foundation and the lion looks like a lamb that was slain it's not the kingdom that's upside down it's the world that's upside down if I'm hanging upside down I look at you guys and go man you guys are all upside down that's what the kingdom is it's right side up the world is upside down will you say yes again today Will you let him in today? God's asking, will you love me today? Will you love them today? Will you go and make disciples today? Will you pray for the sick today? Will you partner with me today to bring heaven to earth? Samuel, you failed seven times, but I want you to know, though the righteous fall seven times, they will rise again. But the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. Proverbs 24, 16, for those of you who are taking notes. Samuel, keep getting up. The righteous just don't know how to stay down. They don't know how to do it. Samuel, you haven't lost it. You've been part of a bigger picture that you couldn't see. But because you kept saying yes, I'm going to use you to anoint the one whose blood will flow in my son. You want to know how to overcome rejection? Let me finish with a couple of quick points. The first one is to realize that it's not about you. Samuel thought they were rejecting him, but it was actually God that they were rejecting. Somehow we take rejection personally. Things may not always work out the way that you plan, but they will work out the way God has planned them. Just realize it's not about you. Don't take it personally. Number two, overcoming rejection. Hear and obey God. Samuel heard God even when Eli couldn't. And he did what God said every time he told him. He didn't let the past rejection keep him from present obedience. He did not let past rejection keep him from present obedience. You know that phrase, to obey is better than sacrifice? Anybody ever heard that? Well, guess who said that? Samuel. Number three, exchange your will for his. The prayer of your heart has got to be, not my will, but yours be done. That's in Matthew 26. In the exchange of wills is when you're able to overcome because you've died to that feeling that I deserve different from people. 
If I still hold on to my will, my idea of how things should be, I'll never overcome the rejection. Because I've been wronged. That was wrong. And if I don't exchange my will for his, I'll never be able to walk past it. I'm sure Samuel would have preferred leading the people himself. I'm sure he would have preferred for Saul to have worked out. But he laid down his will and picked up God's. The last one is keep clean hands and a pure heart. Just keep saying yes. Listen, all rejection is only temporary. Just keep saying yes to Jesus. And then what looks like a setback is really a setup because Jesus never rejects you. If anybody ever had an opportunity to throw in the towel, it was Jesus. He was rejected by those close to him. Even Peter denied him. And ultimately, we put him on the cross. The very people he came to help rejected him fully by putting him on the cross. But in that exchange of wills, not my will, but yours be done. That quote is actually Jesus in the garden before he went to the cross. Jesus being rejected by all of mankind exchanged his will for the will of the Father. Saying, God, I would have chosen another way, but it's not about what I want, it's what you want. And he went to the cross, and because of that, we will never be the same. Do you understand the rejection of Jesus was necessary for our salvation? What will your rejection create for someone else? Will you hear God and obey him? Will you keep clean hands and a pure heart and not throw stones at those who have rejected you? Will you stop telling your story everywhere you go to make sure they've got your version of it? Will you hear his voice? Some of the good news for me, when I got cut in junior high, you know what it did? It made me really hungry. So there was a basketball camp that the high school coach had every summer. Now, regardless of whether you're on the junior high team, all the junior high kids still had to try out for the high school team. And I was the only one in junior high that could dunk. So I went to this basketball camp and I dunked that ball every single time I could <laughs> and made sure the coach was watching me when I did. Every layup was a dunk and the coach came over to him and he's like, man, do that again, do that again. And all the high school players were like, what jersey number do you want? Like, obviously you've already made the team. And I'm like, hey, I made the team and began my career. Me being cut by the Lakers, do you know what my life would have been like if I had lived in L.A. all these years? Would have never met her had I not been cut. You can take all the money and fame. She's my reward. Being, not having my contract renewed in Wollongong, which was really kind of a betrayal, put me on a path that brought me to Virginia Beach. This is my home, but I never thought I'd live here. But yet it was all a setup for God to do what he's doing right now. You've got to learn to let God lead you through that rejection and hear his voice. So I want you to bow your head and pray with me. We've gone a little bit over tonight, today. I don't want you to ask yourself a question. Maybe ask God, what would your life look like if you said yes to Jesus every single time? And I believe the Lord right now is bringing into some people's memories this morning things that he's told you to do, things he's called you to do. And you haven't done it yet. Maybe it's not a no. You just haven't given him a yes yet. You've left God on red. He's asked you to do something. You saw it. And you just haven't responded. Maybe it's what Romy talked about in her word this morning. I don't know what it is specifically. But he wants your yes 
He'll never abandon you. He'll never forsake you. But he wants your yes. If you just need to do some business with him right now, You know, you can't see what's on the other side of the yes until you say yes and step out. God never said he was going to part the Red Sea until they got there. And then he did it. For some of you, maybe you're living in the bad example of family and leadership and maybe you've had horrible examples of ministry leaders the media is certainly full of all kinds of pastors and leaders that have been bad examples is that going to keep you from ministering before the lord because you understand that's how the enemy wins right it's not when they fall it's when your worship is stolen as a result God hasn't fallen. God hasn't failed. And your worship of Him through the rejection and the disappointment is your yes. We're made for worship. So when you stop worshiping Him, you don't stop worshiping. You just give your worship to something else. We will worship something. Why don't you give it to Him? Father, this morning, I can't do this on behalf of people, but I give you my yes. And I stand before you as one who has been rejected. But honestly, God, I don't even remember it anymore. Because all I know is you. And all I want is you, the one who never leaves and never forsakes us. So I lay down my agendas, I lay down my will, my ideas and opinions of how things should be. I lay down the I thought by now attitude. And I trust your timing. I trust your promises. And I thank you for your presence that breaks every yoke in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 That's Samuel. Thank you for joining us today. For more resources like this or to find information about our weekly services, visit seashorechurch.com.